Before we begin our study this morning, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. We celebrated Purim this week and we're continuing the celebration. We're gonna continue into the evening tonight as we regather together. And this morning I wanna keep a focus that, that I brought up last week, the focus on anti-Semitism because Purim is a holiday that reminds us not just of God's victory but of the threat of anti-Semitism and the need that we have to be prepared to face that threat and to stand up to stand together, whether it's one, two, or many, standing together, each one of us needs to learn to do our part. And in April, we'll look at anti-Zionism and the face of anti-Zionism today, and what we need to know about those who, who are against the state of Israel and who are trying to undermine the existence of the state of Israel. But this morning, I wanna start by looking at a passage in the book of Proverbs that, in a sense, a prophetic passage that, that reveals God's concern about our response to other people's difficulty. And it starts this way, Proverbs chapter 24, starting in verse 10, it says, if you falter in the day of distress, then how small is your strength? or how limited is your strength? If you, if you fail in the day of trouble, how limited is your strength? Now here it's not talking about the kind of trouble that you may face on an everyday basis. This is not about the trouble with your bank account. It's not about the trouble with the boss who's giving you tsuris at work. It's not about the trouble that has to do with, with uh, conflict at home or situations like that. This has to do with another kind of trouble. It's the kind of trouble that other people are going through that requires help from us. Now how do we know that? Verse 11 makes it really clear. Rescue those being led away to death and restrain those stumbling toward the slaughter. You see, the strength that the Lord is, is underlining here is not physical strength, it's moral courage. It's the kind of bravery that causes us or empowers us to stand up for the sake of others and to use what we have, our strength, our power, our resources, in order to rescue people whose lives are in danger. And I think about this every Purim, how important it is for people to take an active position against anti-Semitism, Jews and non-Jews together, taking this position. It's important for us to know that, that we are called to a life that cares, that expresses care and concern about other people in trouble. 
We're not just called to take care of ourselves. It's important to stand up for ourselves, but not just ourselves. It's important to stand up for others as well. To rescue those who are being led away to death. It makes me think about the Holocaust and how important it was for people to use their moral strength and courage to stand up for the Jewish people and to stand with the Jewish people and even to put their own lives in jeopardy. Jews and non-Jews together, standing up together against the forces of evil. Verse 12 goes on. And it speaks to those who might try to hide behind the excuse of ignorance. Well, we just didn't know. If you've been to any of the concentration camps, you see that they're situated nearby villages, by cities, by towns. And many times the people in those villages and towns said, well, we didn't know what was happening. Though they saw trains full of people going in, and they saw smoke coming out of the smokestacks, and then they saw that there were no people coming out. But many people would say, well, we just didn't know. I mean, today the situation is the same. Many people are unaware of the effect of anti-Semitism today. They don't recognize it. They say, well, we just don't know. And they may be unaware as well of the kinds of hatred that's not just expressed to Jews, but it's expressed against Christians. Or as we saw in New Zealand, against Muslims. Behold, we didn't know about this. In Proverbs 24, 12, this is mentioned in order to preempt that as an excuse. Now, you may say, okay, I'm not, a, I'm not a news junkie. That's not really my thing. So I'm not really concerned about that. You know, my thing is sports. The scripture speaks to you. It speaks to all of us. We need to make ourselves aware. We need to learn about what's going on. We need to see what are the risks and the dangers that, that people are facing in many parts of the world. You may say, well, you know, I, I don't really get too involved in politics and current events, but it's important not to be ignorant. Ignorance is a partner to apathy. And the Lord is saying this, if you say, hey look, we didn't know about it, will not he who weighs hearts consider it? Does not the one who guards your life know? Will he not repay a man according to his deeds? Those who have moral courage discover it during times of distress and trouble. Not their own distress and trouble, but the distress and trouble of other people and their willingness to spend themselves on behalf of others. When other people are in trouble, do we use our strength on behalf of them? Do we use our strength on behalf of those who are being taken to death? Do we use our strength to rescue other people? What do we do? 
Now this is all part of the message about moral courage that Mordechai gives to Esther. Do you remember when, when she thinks that she can escape the trouble and Mordechai basically says, don't fool yourself. And she's saying, yeah, but nobody knows I'm Jewish. And he says, that's not gonna help you. God put you here for this time. He put you here, and she was thinking, yeah, but I could, it could cost me my life to intervene. And Mordecai basically said, it would be a life well spent if it cost you your life to intervene. But know this for sure, if you don't, you will lose your life and God will raise up someone else who will stand in the gap and somehow he will accomplish a rescue. Yeshua clearly used his life to rescue us. He gave his life for us. He didn't just talk about it, he did it. He spent everything, he laid down his life. He even he said, no one takes my life, I lay it down. He laid down his life to rescue us who were perishing, to rescue us who were being taken to an eternity of death and sorrow. He gave his life for us. And not only did he do this in order to rescue us, he did this in order to teach us what is our life all about. It's not a life of comfort. It's not a life of, of materialism. It's a life of service to God, a life dedicated to God. And he taught his disciples, if you lose your life in service to God, it's okay because there's more to life than that and you will have life in the world to come. Better to lose your life or even some part of it in service to God than to try to save yourself through being unfaithful. That will cost you everything. I think about World War II and the fact that when moral courage was present Jewish people were saved and rescued. And when moral courage was lacking, Jewish people were lost and murdered. I wanna to read to you a passage from my book, In That Day. And it's a it's the story of a, a man named Pastor Nikolai who was a second pastor in Riga, Latvia, and he told us about his family background when we were there in 1997, uh, holding an outreach, a messianic outreach, and planting uh, the messianic movement in that country. And Pastor Nikolai shared how he came to love the Jewish people. He said it must have come from his mother's milk. His parents were righteous Gentiles. They were Christians who had hidden the Jews from the Nazis, helping the Jews even at their own peril. This was his family's legacy. He was talking to a group of us 
And there was a holy hush that came over all of us when he began to tell the story of his family's love and devotion to the Jewish people. He grew up in a conservative Pentecostal family. His mother's parents lived in a village in a largely Jewish area in the Gomel region of Belarus. And during the time of the Nazi occupation of Belarus, his grandfather, Vasily Korj, say that name with me, Vasily Korj, he hid about 25 Jews on his farm. So Pastor Nikolai's grandfather, Vasily, the only place that was large enough to hide them all was a swine house, the muddy, filthy shed where the pigs were raised. For two or three weeks, these Jews hid from the Germans, and then Kors determined that it would not be safe for them any longer. He came up with a plan to evacuate the Jews one by one. The peril was great. The Jews had to get to the forest in order to escape to real safety. But to get there, they must pass a Nazi outpost. Vasily Kors devised a simple plan. He would hand carry each Jewish man, woman and child, one by one, inside a heavy burlap sack. Carefully, he instructed each of his charges not to move or make a sound. Once a person was safely hidden in the bag, he hoisted the heavy sack with the neck of the sack tied closed with a rope and hanging over his shoulder. Where are you going, the Nazis would ask. To the forest, he would answer. And what is in the sack, the inquiry would continue. Just one of my dead swine. I will take it to the people who live in the forest and they will bury it so that it will not rot and contaminate my will. Very well, then go on. This simple deception worked again and again. And finally, Kors was known as the unlucky man with too many dead swine. <laughs> Isaiah had prophesied that God would turn his attention with miracles to the Gentiles, and they would bring your sons in their arms and carry your daughters on their shoulders. Kings will be your foster fathers and their queens your nursing mothers. And perhaps this ancient prophecy was tumbling through the minds of the Jews as one brave soul carried so many of them upon his shoulders in humble sacks. Once they arrived in the forest, Kors would take each Jew to an underground hiding place. The partisans had created these subterranean fortresses out of sight, out of mind. Better than no one else knows, they all thought. And so the 10 Jewish families made it out of the village safely into the forest and thus into the hands of those who were fighting for their freedom. Each day, Kors's wife would carry a basket of food into the forest there to nourish the Jews who had grown familiar with though never accustomed to the daily hunger. After the final Jew had been taken into the forest, someone reported to the Nazis that Kors was a traitor and was hiding Jews. Nazi troops came to his farm, dominated the area around the swine house, and then fired upon it relentlessly until nothing was left alive. They thought they were firing upon Jews. 
But alas, it was only the swine who perished. When the soldiers discovered that there were no Jews inside, they were outraged. They tied up Vasily Korsh, binding him in rope, tying his wrists together, then dragging him behind a horse. Horribly he was dragged, with such force that the rope from the horse to his wrist pulled tight and powerfully, snapping Korsh's wrist, pulling it out of the socket, and then finally ripping off his hand. Blood flowed forcefully as the driven horse continued to drag its victim. Finally, they stopped, left Korsh for dead, and went on their way. And yet someone came to help him, carried his near lifeless body into the forest, bringing this simple hero into a hidden Soviet army hospital camp. His hand forever gone, the medical unit was able to sew up what was left of his arm and stabilize him. Nikolai's grandmother fled into the forest and the Nazis burned their farm and the swine house to the ground. The family joined the partisans and remained in the cover of the forests until the war concluded. Korsh's brother, a general in the Soviet army, helped them and the partisans. The sacrifice of Vasily Korsh was a reflection of the courage that he had, of the strength that he had. And I believe that when the Lord evaluates, as he says he will in Proverbs 24, the strength of a silly course, he'll say, you were a hero. You were a man whose strength was not limited. You rescued those who were in danger. You spent your life for them. Not only did it have an impact on this man and his immediate family, but the generations to come. It's a powerful example that moral courage lasts for a long time. It gets passed down from generation to generation. When we take it to heart, we learn to be courageous. We learn to stand up. The courage that you demonstrate will not only be helpful to others who you intend to help, but it will also help your children and your grandchildren and those that follow after you because they will remember the stories. They will remember the experience that you had where through your life and the choices you made and your service to God and your willingness to sacrifice yourself for others, their courage will be emboldened. Yeshua was asked what are the two, what is the greatest commandment and he gave a two-part answer. The first is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. It's interesting in light of this, your strength. Because it includes physical strength and sometimes we might say, well how do I love the Lord with my physical strength? Vasily Korsh can tell you. When he carried each of those Jewish men, women, and children, one by one, in a sack on his back. He used his strength. He used it powerfully. 
The second great command, Yeshua said, is to love your neighbor as yourself. The two work together, they empower us to make our hearts more noble and to embolden us to spend our lives on behalf of others so that they would be rescued. Yeshua talked about this, and one of, the, one of his listeners asked a question about, well, who, who is my neighbor? And it, it had all the form of a theological question. And Yeshua could have been a good theologian and a nice exegete who dug into the scriptures, but instead he told a story. And he told it in a ruthless way. He said there was, a, there was a man who was attacked and beaten up and left almost for dead on the side of the road. And one of the Kohanim walked by and turned his head, just kept walking. And then one of the Levites came by and he did the same thing. Now everybody knew when Yeshua was telling this story how the form of these stories goes. And the way it was supposed to go was something like this. And then just one of the regular Israelites walked by and he did something. But Yeshua didn't do that. He, uh, it really wasn't fair what he did. <laughs> he said, then a Samaritan came by. And the Samaritan took this man somewhere where he could recover. And he paid for his lodging and the medical care that he needed. And, and he said, I'll come back and check up on him. And if the expenses are more than what I've given you, I'll pay even more. I'll pay the difference. Now, this was not fair for Yeshua to do this. This is like theological dirty tricks. Seriously. Because the Samaritans were anti-Semites. In this sense, they were against the Jewish people. They were replacement theology, supersessionists in a sense. They had their own version of the Bible, different from the Torah. They had their own understanding of the supremacy of their group. And on other occasions, when Yeshua went to the Samaritans, he talked to them gently about their errors. But, but it wasn't fair to, on that day. Because he wasn't talking about anything balanced or anything that really had to do with theology. It had to do with the visceral reaction that his listeners would have when he said, and then a Samaritan came. And they had all this normal reaction because it wasn't just theology, it was like a um, us and they mentality, us and them. It's like, um, they're outsiders. And they're against us, they're not for us. And Yeshua picks Samaritans in order to provoke that thinking, and then he asks a terribly unfair question. So which one acted like a neighbor? 
for this man. And that's not fair. It would have been fair to have a nice debate about theological issues and to balance everything out, but he didn't allow that. He simply said, which one acted like a neighbor? And there was only one answer. The Samaritan. And in this, Yeshua is trying to show that if, if we can see beyond the errors or the differences and the things that separate us and we can see people the way God sees people, people needing rescue, then we've accomplished something great. The Samaritan acted like a neighbor. The Levite didn't. The, the Kohen did not. Did not act like a neighbor. I thought about that. And last night I took a terrible chance, a terrible risk. I tried to imagine how Yeshua might tell the story if it were today. And so, one version was like this. A messianic rabbi was walking. <laughs> he saw this guy. Too busy. And then one of the worship leaders in the messianic synagogue saw this guy. He too walked by. And then a Muslim walked by. And he took notice and he stopped. And he took care of him and took him somewhere where he could recuperate. Paid for everything. And then Yeshua, I'm saying this because I tried to think what would make us squirm? And what would make you squirm? And, and in fact, I squirm not because of the form and not because of the actual content, but because I know it's uncomfortable because it's so easy in this day and age, like it was then, to blind ourselves to the humanity of other people, both those who do good and those who are in need. It's easy to do that. And unless we can read the Bible in such a way that it provokes our wrong response in order to fix it, then we haven't read it right. And I know some of you, you you're counting, like, wh what is wrong with this rabbi? Why would he use this example? And I tell you, one of the things that provoked me was this, the Pittsburgh synagogue, where the massacre was, just raised $40,000 for the families of the mosque in New Zealand, who faced the slaughter as well. I thought, wow, what a good example. So who is neighborly? The Pittsburgh synagogue for the mosque. 
and the Muslims. And that really touched me. And then I remembered the Muslims who had raised, I think, a hundred and some thousand dollars for the sake of the families of the Pittsburgh synagogue families. And I thought, wow, we are living in a world where it's easy to ignore such things. And it's easier to focus on the theological differences, the social differences, and so forth, and to see people in such a limited way that we forget their humanity. And we forget that they are made b'tselem Hashem, in the image of God. God made all mankind in his image. And it's a challenge for us. If we do not see people in this way, we don't see people the way God sees them. One last thought. It's about a man who caught my attention some years ago. John, I'm not sure if the correct pronunciation is Easterreicher or Osterreicher. But he was the architect of the Catholic Church position statement, Nostra Aetate, in our age, that was the renunciation of historic anti-Semitism and replacement theology that the Catholic Church uh, signed on to, actually created. And Monsignor Easterreicher was a leading advocate of Jewish Catholic reconciliation. He was one of the architects of Nostra Aetate. And he was born to a Jewish family in Moravia. He, he converted to Catholicism and became a priest in 1927. He was an anti-Nazi activist in the 30s. He was also uh, part of a community that brought the good news of Messiah to other Jewish people. It was a difficult world to be in and to embrace that. And he was one of the guys who I believe God used to to bring repentance and a change of mind to the Catholic Church about the Jewish people. And one of the reflections of that is that um, the popes started acknowledging the Jewishness of Yeshua and calling the Jewish people their elder brother. And it became a turning point for Catholic and Jewish relations and very important to us to this day and to the well-being of the Jewish people. And I think of the courage that it took, the courage that it took in order to lead a whole church that had historically embraced anti-Semitism and had held the position that the Jews of today were collectively responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus. One of his compatriots, Edward Flannery, another Catholic priest, said, it wasn't the Jews who killed Christ, it's the anti-Semites. Even some who hide in the churches. These are responsible for the death of Christ. An interesting perspective.
I think it's important for us to count the costs, to pay attention to the threats to the Jewish people, and to not just engage in virtue signaling whereby we, we push the like button on Facebook when someone has like a statement we like or we share something on social media that costs you nothing, really. It's not the same as rescuing somebody. We need to learn something so that we can be useful in this day, in this era, in our age. We need to learn how to stand up against anti-Semitism, as Cantor Aaron said, not just when you're around us, but when you're off by yourself. When there's no one to help you, and when you're at risk, and you might be thinking, oh no, no, I need to be quiet. Oh no, no, it could cost me my job. Oh no, it could cost me my, my livelihood. Oh no, I better build a golden calf instead. That'll save me. It's so important in this, in this day to prepare ourselves and to contemplate these matters and to inform ourselves so that our hearts learn to choose courage against hatred and to choose courage for those who are in danger, for the widows, for the orphans, for the poor, for the hungry, for the elderly, for the immigrant, for the minorities, it's so important for us to learn to to choose, to stand with them and for them. Well, I think I'm supposed to end. And so I, I, I want to pray for your moral courage, for my moral courage, that we would embrace the values that Yeshua has about what's worth spending our strength on. Lord, we thank you that you gave us a perfect example that you have been good to us, that you laid down your life for us, the guilty ones, that you showed love to us when we were haters, haters of the living God that you have freely given your life so that we could take this newborn life you've given us and use it in service to you for the sake of others. Lord, we pray that we would not be found in the day of distress as people who have limited strength, but we would be those with courage, those with power that comes from the willingness to rescue those being taken to slaughter. We pray this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Amen. Let me remind you that next Friday and Saturday we will have a special seminar with Rabbi Jeff Foreman, who will be here teaching us about Yeshua the Messiah in Torah, in the prophets, in the whole of Tanakh, and uh, it'll be a powerful two-part seminar. I encourage you to come. And I want to invite our cantors for today and our Rabbi Yuri to come up and stand with us. Rabbi Jeff Foreman from City of David Messianic Synagogue in Toronto. His wife, Janet, will be joining us.
It'll be a wonderful time. Okay, now, we got something special to close out. And remember this, there's no Oneg or a coffee time. The Shalom Center is closed after services. We'll be having fellowship tonight. But I want to ask you to stand. And we will have four-part ironic benediction. Okay, now to help make this work, I will share. I, I think it'll work. They're trying to get a, a, a mic, a handheld mic. So you can hear my silky voice. <laughs> Aaron's voice can be heard on the ocean, yeah. on a battleship. I'm not, I'm not blessed with a singing voice, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rabbi, can we start with that? Can we start with this? Sure. Please. Okay. Everyone is standing with somebody. If you'll close your eyes, let this prayer wash over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant each and every one of you his peace. Yivarechecha Adonai vayishmarecha Yaeher Adonai panavalecha viachunecha Yisa Adonai Adonai Panavelecha Vayasem Lucha Shalom. тебя, Господь, и сохранить тебя. Да презрит на Тебя Господь светным лицом Своим и помилует Тебя. Да обратит Господь лицо Свое на Тебя и даст Тебе мир. Que el Señor te bendiga y te guarde. Que el Señor haga que la luz de su rostro brille sobre ti y sea amable contigo. Que el Señor levante su rostro hacia ti y te dé su paz. En el nombre de Yeshua, príncipe de la paz. Amén. Amén. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom.